All right, this week we're back with Jan Tutan. Jan was on several episodes ago proclaiming the benefits of remote work for the purposes of innovation and avoiding electric shocks. And he, <laughs> he recently published his own... This is not prepared, but I'm feeling so eloquent. He recently uh, published his own shocking news on LinkedIn that he's... Have you stepped down as CEO or you're going to? What's what's going on there? Yeah, so I've stepped down already. That's done. That's done. Yeah. And it's a decision I made uh, after the summer, in September. And uh, during the end of the year, I've organized myself to... Uh, to uh, to organize my succession so uh, yes as from uh, the 1st of january i've uh, i'm not in this position anymore what is that like <laughs> it's um it's a decision i made uh, based on the fact that i believe that i had reached my limits in the job i was uh, i was um, involved and <clears throat> why do i mean by reaching the limits is that um, I believe that uh, my skills are more about growing businesses and developing businesses. But when it comes to uh, maintain uh, businesses and uh, make sure that they are uh, very sharp into their organization, into their structure, into their process, this is where I am not the best person to hire for this job. How did you know this? Yeah, well, I noticed because this is where I was not getting energy, as simple as this. Yeah, I was. I'm very happy to to design some visions, to 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 motivate teams to reach a certain vision, to make some acquisitions, to make sure that we have the resources in house. But when it comes to optimizing process and uh, making organizations uh, more efficient, uh, this is not me. You know, this is as simple as this. This is not me, and I've tried it, and I've tried it, and I was like. I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's, of course, that's a tough decision because a position of a CEO is a position that um, a lot of people look up to you. You know, oh, you're a CEO of an organization, so I want to talk to you. I want to have you on my podcast, etc. So uh, from from the inside, you know, yes, I'm, I'm Jan. Yes, I'm Jan. Uh, okay, by the way, I'm a CEO, but, uh, you know, I've, you have skills. I have skills. It's not because it's written CEO next to my name that I am a, that I am a, such an exceptional person. And a lot of people don't understand why I step out from a CEO position. They say, "Ah, you could have stayed, and you have all the advantage and uh, all the material advantage, and the salary, and the car, and the assistant, and all those things." Yes, fine. But if you're not happy, <laughs> you're not happy. As simple as this. Well, and this reminds me. So, would you? Do you remember our previous conversation you called this? We called these heart decisions. So this is like a heart decision? Yes, of course. Because um, for all the things I've mentioned, it's losing status, but it's also for the teams. Because the teams that uh, were used to work with me, I've got a lot of emails of, of sympathy from them where they say, well, we, we, miss your, uh, we miss you as a person to inspire us and to challenge us and to... And in fact, I've discovered a lot of my um, uh, skills uh, by those emails I've received from people. I didn't realize, you know, that I am so, um, uh, I would say, uh, I'm, I'm in a way important for those people to 
to represent the vision, to represent the mission of the company, to inspire them, to, to put them out of their comfort zone. And I don't realize because I do it every day. That's my job. But when you get all those messages from the people, when they, when they leave the, when I leave the company, I get those messages from them also on LinkedIn and this LinkedIn post you, you mentioned, I had about, uh, 120 comments, I think, of, of people who uh, who mentioned to me that they will miss uh, me as a CEO. And of course, this is very nice to hear. Uh, but also that that's a responsibility that I uh, that I give up, that I drop, that I give to someone else. And uh, I hope the legacy will be carried properly. But I've I've um, you know have been committed to this team and to those people for uh, nine years, and. Um, and I decided to stop. So there is also a, a difficult decision to make. Back to your question, it's a long answer. But the difficult decision is also to say, okay, I leave those people. I leave them with someone else, and I hope they will find also a good uh, way to interact with this uh, with this new CEO. It also reminds me of the concept you talked about of trust. Well, of control, and when you give mm -hmm. up control you open yourself up to creativity. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, that's, uh, that's, 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 uh, still, <laughs> still true. <laughs> still true. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, how many yeah. days has it been since this happened? Uh, well, it's, uh, I would say as from December 20, you know, with the, the end of year, uh, it has been very, uh, very less, very much remote from the position. So it's about a month ago that it's, uh, that it's ongoing now. Do you have any immediate plans? Like what's, what do the next few months look like? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've made this decision because I was asked by, uh, organizations that I interact with mainly with my role as a, as a, um, as a coach, uh, for startups. And some of the organizations said, Yan, we would like you to help us to grow our organization uh, and to help us to to give some structure on on different uh, matters in organization one of them is saying yan we want to organize better our marketing and commercial departments we are very good technical people but we don't have commercial skills so we have uh, about uh, 50 customers but we want to grow to more customers and we want to uh, develop a marketing and a commercial uh, approach of our business uh, another company says, yes, we are not present on the Dutch market. Can you help us to have a footprint on the Dutch market, which is an important market for us? Uh, those are two examples of companies that were asking me their help, asking me to help. And, you know, I was like, okay, guys, that's nice, but I have a job. I say, yeah, yeah, but you, maybe it's time to start your business, extra. So what happened is that I have asked them to commit by uh, by letter of intent, say okay, guys. If I start my business, are you my customers? And this is how we're going to work. I'm going to do this, 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 and we're going to pay this, 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 and this is the outcome. You agree? Yes. And we've put it on paper, and I had three uh, commitments, three letter of intent, and that has made me make the decision, you know, to move to create my own business to help those people uh, because I had traction, a natural traction from potential customers. Yeah, I'll I say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, normally it's the, well, I think I have enough stuff and I'll take the leap or I can't stand it anymore. So I'm leaving and I'll figure out what's next. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really smooth transition. Yes, it is. Of course, it's, it's 
it sounds smooth, but in reality, you have to start a business. You depend from those people. You know, let me say it very simple. I'm used to be on a payroll of a company. I'm an intrapreneur, as I always say. So I'm, I, I, I run the business like if it's my own business. Every day I've got a salary paid. There's someone organizing my pension. There's someone organizing my insurance, health, uh, disability insurance. The cash is being organized. There's a lot of things that are being organized. And then when you step out of this environment where you believe you're an uh, entrepreneur, but in fact you're an intrapreneur, then when you step out and you really face yourself in front of uh, all those points that I just mentioned, but to organize it for yourself, well, then it's not a smooth. It's not a smooth transition. <laughs> <laughs> say more. Say more about being an intrapreneur. That was one of the first terms I learned when I started working with a coach. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get your question. My sense of the people that listen to the conversations I publish here are that most people listen work for a company. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm not sure that people are familiar with this term intrapreneur what does it mean how do you be one what would you how would you challenge people to be one yeah well being an intrapreneur is to run your uh, your your job run your business uh in a way that is and what if it's yours so i always ask yourself the question and what if it would be my own company what if these euros I'm going to spend are coming out of my pocket, of my own pocket? Would I make the same decision? Would I, would I act the same? Would I be as productive? Would I be as, you know, going into details? Or would I be still staying on, on the main picture? Would I be that precise? Would I, would I look for perfect or would I look for good? And I think we have the tendency when we are not thinking this way, when we are thinking as, I would say, employees, that we have the tendency to think that it will be fixed by someone else. You know, even if I fail, there will be someone else. Even if it's, if it's not, my performance is not at the top, there will be someone else within this organization, my manager, someone, his manager, someone from another department that will finish the job, that will make it nice and perfect. And uh, so I have, you know, my, lim- my responsibilities are very limited. If you behave as, a, as an entrepreneur, the mindset is to say, I am responsible. There's no limit to my responsibility. My responsibilities are endless. And my responsibilities are the same responsibilities as if I would run my own business. I have to make sure that uh, all the actions I have have enough impact to satisfy the customer, to satisfy the shareholder, to satisfy the ecosystem, and to uh, be in line with the vision and the mission of the company, and not only doing my my own little job. Yeah, what comes to mind there for me is where, a lot of times in my work with people, I talk about where we're coming from. Like, what's your mm-hmm. what's your orientation that you're approaching a situation from? Yeah, if you're if you're approaching it like you own it, you're going to treat it a whole lot differently than if it's just someone else, like a hobby versus a business or uh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's. I would even say it's the relation to death. You know, if you if you're an entrepreneur, (laughs) that makes it real. yeah. Yeah, but if you're an entrepreneur. You know, if if it goes wrong, then you lose. But you lose, you're going to feel the pain. And uh, you're going to feel a kind of a death, you know. 
it's going to be painful if you make it wrong or if you make it uh, not the right way or if you make it too detailed or too expensive or too you, it's going to hit you direct you know cash if you are not an entrepreneur if you make a mistake well the mistake is uh, you know it's far the impact is far from me so yeah that's that's you have uh, more uh, more rewards but also more uh, risks to to uh, to manage and this i believe you can do within a corporate within an organization you can look at your job um by by being an, an, an entrepreneur within your company i, I will give you uh, two concrete examples i had in my uh, former organization i had some some i had a few times uh, I went against the rules. So we have policy, we have governance, and I went against those uh, governance rules uh, once by making a, a specific payment to a, a supplier uh, that was quite a huge payment, but I, I knew I had to do it. I, I didn't have the time to respect the rules and to respect the decision-making process for this payment that was quite significant. I've decided, and we had like uh, three or four hours to make this payment, I took the decision to do this payment, even if not respecting the rule is a reason to fire me. But I took the decision to make this payment because together with my team, we had made the assessment that if we would not do it, then we would lose the supplier and it was a significant supplier for our business. So we would have had a lot of much more impact uh, if we would not have paid this supplier in this very short time frame. This decision I made with my team, but I didn't respect the whole compliance uh, rule and uh, validation forms to make this payment. Well, this is an example for me of being an entrepreneur. I have uh, chosen to uh, go fast and to act fast on my uh, ability to judge with my teams that it was important to do, and also on my intuition. And entrepreneurs work a lot with intuition. And does 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 both things have made that we have reached our goal? And I had I had a lot of troubles after because I had to explain why did I disrespect the compliance rule? It cost me a lot of time and energy, and uh, and uh, and even some I would say some lack of trust from some, from some of the people in the top management. But I don't mind. I did what I had to do. Were you breaking any laws? No, I was not breaking the laws. <laughs> like, I was, all I could think of here was, was this a bribe or something? <laughs> like, no, no, nobody went to jail. Nobody, <laughs> nobody died. Nobody went to jail. Nobody was injured. It's just that when you have to organize some payments, in this case, within a large organization, after a certain threshold, you need some certain authorizations. You know? Fair enough. That's what I mean. Yeah. I'd like to give another example also. is the 80-20 rule. Yeah. When, when you're an entrepreneur, you go for the efficiency, you go for the speed, you go for delivering as much as possible with as minimum uh, resources as possible. And I remember myself that when I was uh, on, on the payroll of a company, but uh, even before the CEO position, I remember that I was really aiming for perfect, for, you know, for perfect, which is sometimes the enemy of good. But if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have time and you, you don't have that much resources, you go for good. You don't go for perfect, you go for good. And that's something that uh, is uh, sometimes a challenge for people on the payroll because they believe a bit sometimes that they are a bit like at school and they want to do it perfect. They want to do it the academic way. And I really see often that perfect is the enemy of good. 
So what was the outcome of this bold move that you made? It's early to say. Oh, <laughs> time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. Uh, but I hear yeah. too there that you weren't, you didn't make that decision in a vacuum either. Like it wasn't just you sitting in your corner office or your corner remote office, just doing it totally on your own. It sounds like you had input from other people. Is that right? It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's a longer process for the decision. And um, I like what you just said, Paul, because never make a decision in a vacuum. You know, when, you, when, in a, when you are in a vacuum, you make the, the, always the bad decisions because, because your energy is not uh, at the right level, because, uh, because your, your self-esteem is not okay, because so it's, it's going to be a wrong decision. Never make a decision when you first exit the vacuum and then decide. So is there ever a time as an entrepreneur or a leader where you would say it makes sense to just make that decision in a vacuum? I think also when you're in a vacuum, you, you lack the helicopter view. You lack the, 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 the distance. So if you really feel in a vacuum, you're not able to decide, then it's the right moment to call for coaching or to call for external help to make this decision and to balance your, 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 um, I mean, your, your, the criteria that will help you to make the decision. It's like, I always say, never broke up with a, with a partner when you have a fight, you know? <laughs> yes. It's the same. Yeah. What you did to me. Well, okay. Then I, then I broke up with you. No, never. It's, it's just keep the discussion and then broke up maybe two days later, but not like this and the impulse of a, of a fight. What would you tell people that say, well, this sounds really good, John and Jan, you know, being an entrepreneur, but you know, I don't really have any control over anything and you know, I really can't make a difference. You are talking of people who would be listening and thinking, I want also to be an entrepreneur, but I don't know. Yeah, or an, I would, yeah, I would, or an entrepreneur. I want, to, I want to do this at my company, but, you know, it's thousands and thousands of people. And, you know, most days out and not, I just don't feel like I'm really making a difference. And so why should I even try this? Yeah. Everyone sees in his organization things that that are not okay. And everybody accepts them. You know, we all see things that we have to do or process or uh, ways of working or, or documents or anything in the organization that is, we, 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 we use it every day. We're like, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not okay. But exactly as you say, but why, why changing it? Because I'm a number and I'm lost somewhere, and uh, anyway, I will have zero impact. My advice when this feeling happens is to take the responsibility to change this thing and to draft a proposition to change it, to propose to your manager. I insist on that, of the idea of going, working yourself, so it's out of your job, it's out of your job description, but you just take a bit of time to think, okay, if we would do this different, maybe we should do it this way, and this is the, the gain for the company. And this 
is something you should propose to your manager and say, look, can, can, I have, can I have 10 minutes of your time, 15 minutes of your time? You know what? We do this thing every day and I do it every day for uh, three years and I think we could do it better. And I thought about it and I think we, if we do it this way, this is the outcome. What do you think of that? And then this discussion with this manager will open up the opportunity for you to take the lead on this process and to change it with the support of your management. It can sound a bit uh, simple what I'm saying, but I had the example for someone in my company that came to me and said, look, Jan, our mobility, the mobility of our employees is going in the wrong direction. We increase the consumption of fuel. We increase the kilometers. We uh, don't use enough public transport. And we have people who spend a lot of time commuting in their cars. And this person came to me and said, Jan, I would like to work on a mobility plan. And I have a lot of people in my environment who are in my family who are very good in this topic. So I'd like to propose to you a mobility plan to uh, increase the efficiency when it comes to mobility about the employees, about the consumption of, uh, of fossil energy, about the time spent and about the cost for the company. Are you open to that? I'd say fine, but there's no there's no room in your uh, in your work. Well, you know what, Jan? And this part of my job, I have uh, nothing to do at the moment, and so I have uh, about twenty percent of my time that is uh, open. So it's uh, it's fine. Okay. Well, I said okay. What do you need? And then and then the project started. Is this where the remote work thing came from? That's exactly. That's also part of the remote work because in this case. I've opened the eyes of people by saying, look, remote work is about commuting, or it's about avoiding commuting. And then this person took, took very simple, uh, the, the, the number of kilometers that we do, uh, the, the sum of all the kilometers of the cars of the company and divided it by 50 kilometers per hour <laughs> as an average speed, which is very often the case. And then we ended up with an amount of hours that was crazy, crazy amount of hours spent in the cars. Yeah? And uh, we have given ourselves targets to reduce it. But I would never have had think about, about it. You know, I was busy with my things. And then this person came to me. And the outcome is much more than less kilometers. The outcome is less fuel, is less cars, is less cost of car leasing, is people coming to work by bike now, or is people uh, using more remote work. But I didn't, I, I always promote remote work, but I didn't, made the connection with a mobility plan. And this person came to me and said, Jan, we have to work on a mobility plan. Uh, and this is what happened. What I hear there too is you, it started off as like as a reactive, like we need to fix this problem. But what's always stuck with me with your whole message behind remote work is it's all about, it's about innovation too. So not only did you solve this problem. I, I, I guess the distinction I'm playing here with, which I was talking to a client about recently, is the difference between offense and defense. So defense mm -hmm. is just reacting to problems that we have. Mm -hmm. Offense yeah. is, what do I want to create and how do I want to create it? Mm -hmm. Innovation, creativity. Yeah. You can also reverse what I just said. As a manager, you can also ask your people uh, to uh, come up with some projects that they would like to work on. And you will be surprised to see <laughs> that people are willing 
towards some things that they like and uh, that uh, they will produce for the organization uh, with pleasure and a good energy and uh, topics that you would not expect at all uh, uh, to be developed in your organization. Now, one other thing I know about my listeners, including myself, is I can be very cynical. Jan and John, this is really great. You know, it's perfect scenario. You 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 bring a bring a problem and a proposal to your manager, and the manager says yes, and it's all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> what about the situation where the same scenario starts in the beginning? You take it to your manager, and your manager just has no interest in it. Just like. Pfft. Uh, whatever you know no we don't have time for in other words there's not even maybe there's barely an acknowledgement but but that's where that's where it ends it's just like or maybe there is no acknowledgement and there and there's a sense of like nothing's going to happen with this what do you say to that person change company (laughs) i would say uh if the management is not sensitive to uh, uh, an improvement or to an, an initiative from uh, from his team, that means that he's, this person is really under pressure and has no bandwidth for anything that is not in line with his targets. And then it's maybe it's not the right moment. So that could be the, the, the discussion to say, look, I understand you don't want to work on that extra. Maybe it's not the right moment. So when when can it be the right moment? So. I would suggest in this case to discuss why and the why can only be that the yeah it's not the right moment or the bandwidth of the manager is 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 completely saturated or it can also be uh that um the 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 the, the way to uh, offer it can 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 be also if there's a no then I'd like to in, to propose, to insist and say, okay, let me try. But let me try at a smaller scale then. So it would be to play on the scale. So if the the manager says, no, okay, don't give up, go on. And you can propose to play it at a smaller scale. So for example, if I would have said no to this mobility plan, the person in front could have said, okay, Jan, let's do it only for the sales team. And let's try it on a sales team. So can you allow me to do this, but only in a sales team? So it's it's playing with the scale and playing with the impact. And then if you are successful with the scale team, the, the sales team, sorry, then you can scale up to the whole organization. So whether it's not the right moment, whether it's not uh, the the good scale, and you can play with the scale, and uh, you uh, will be surprised by the fact that most of the time it will be accepted. And I agree with what you say. We are like in a very nice uh, uh, <laughs> theoretical world and uh, <laughs> theoretical, the two of us, you know, talking about it. Uh, but I give you concrete examples that I've experienced myself, people coming to me or me going to my management. And you would be surprised that we, the first limitation is around beliefs. Exactly what you said. Uh, yes. I know it will never work. Yeah. Have you ever, ever tried? Uh, no. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> well, what I, I, two other things that jumped out at me too was one, the vulnerability involved in this person saying to you, I don't have enough to do right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that, that's kind of, I don't know, that strikes me as somewhat bold. And then that, I guess the other thing that did occur to me is each checking in, instead of considering it a failure or a, like a belief that this is failure, it's, it's also information. So yeah, if you've presented three or four different things, well, you decide what the right number is for you, listener. Um, but at a certain point, yeah, it's data. It's like, okay, I'm trying to move this thing forward. I'm trying to be an owner. I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. It's not working. Okay, well, that's that's informing. It's good to know that. Yeah, yeah. Now, what am I going to yeah. do about it? And what I need to, what I may need to do about it is go somewhere else or transfer to a different team or something like that. Yeah, for example, yeah. But an entrepreneur, as well as an intrapreneur, is sometimes is someone that loses more than winning. Huh? You lose more than you win. But when you win, you win seriously. But to be able to win, you have to lose. I have, I have this, this beautiful uh, discussion I had with um, one of the founders of, of a large company uh, here in, uh, in Holland. Um, when he was a, a teenager, he was a professional tennis player. And he mentioned to me, he said, thanks to professional tennis playing, I've learned how to lose because you lose nine games out of 10, especially when you enter in an in a international um, uh, circle. So you learn to lose and winning is really exceptional and losing is normal. And when he has made his business, he said, you know, Jan, I've, I've seen 50 banks and 49 said no to my project, but the number, but the last one said yes, because then I've stopped going to banks after <laughs> one said yes. But the last one, number 14 and number 50, said yes. But the first 49, to me, it was normal. They were saying no, because I was used to lose, you know, playing tennis. And uh, the last one said yes. And then now I have this uh, wonderful business thanks to this guy who believed in me. So if you think that you come with an idea and then you have directly, uh, oh, yes, that's wonderful. We never thought about it. Let's do it. That's stupid. That's, that's not the way an entrepreneur works. An entrepreneur tries. It's a try and error, you know, try and error, try and error, try and error. And then suddenly you find a way to make it happen. But you have a lot of failure to go through before you succeed. Now, do you, do you ever interpret the immediate success? Like, what, what do you do with that? Because that, that just occurred to me, too. If it's too easy, does that mean that you're missing something. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's too easy, um, yeah, that means maybe that. Uh, uh, well, if it's too easy, first of all, it can be copied easily, so someone else can do it also. So if it's too easy, uh, the um, I would say the ownership of the value you've created is low. Uh, if you, it's, it's easy to spend money. It's easy to to engage resources. What is difficult is to create value. So with little resources to create a lot of value, that's difficult, and that's 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 the difficult part. So if it's too easy, uh, then um, it's it means that you didn't create that much value. So it means that you can easily be copied. Uh, if you have a long journey to succeed. It means that, first of all, you are quite exceptional in your achievements. You have created value. And to reproduce it for someone else, it would be complex because you had a lot of, uh, uh, you have gone through a lot of uh, difficulties to achieve this. So you protect your idea, you protect your business from, uh, uh, from, from being copied. Um, 
But I'd like to come back on this idea of failure. You know, that's that's the strategy of Google, for example. Google launches 10 innovations every day, eh? every week. Every week you have 10 new new features on Google. And then uh, they see which one have uh, interest from their customers. And then they just uh, put full traction on the one who have interest. But out of the 10 or the 40 a month, maybe only one survives. And, 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 and 39 die. That's the idea of entrepreneurship. How has nature, I'm changing directions a little bit, but how has nature influenced what you're up to? I still think back to your story of sailing across the Atlantic for three weeks. What well, nature is, of course, um, a way to, um, to recharge the batteries, uh, especially by being offline. <laughs> um, what I uh, really like with nature also is the, the, the tempo at which things happen. It's on a long, uh, it's on a very long uh, time frame, and um, you see that you invest on a long time frame. You get quite a, a good balanced uh, outcome. Um, what I'm talking about is that uh, when you grow a tree, of course, the tree will not grow on a, on a, on a, on a month. Huh? It takes uh, one or two generations to grow a tree. So when I see people also who invest in, uh, recently was connected to people who do a lot of investments in forest and wood, uh, they think on two or three generations. Huh? That's a completely different instead of thinking on two or three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, wine producers, for example, I, I was, I was, I was in front recently of a wine producer that was uh, doing Armagnac and uh, he was selling the bottles of 1974. You know, he said, I retire and I, I produced those bottles in 1974. Now I have to sell them because my sellers are full. I was like, I was like, what? This is talking, thinking entrepreneur. You know, this guy has produced those bottles almost 50 years ago and he's selling them only now. So for 50 years, he has been store, storing those bottles and having the cash involved to produce those bottles being 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 kept in those bottles for 50 years and i was like wow this is this is really this is really something so that's what i like with nature is the tempo and uh, what i like with nature also, of course is the circular uh, approach of nature so uh, you know it grows it dies and by dying it, uh, it feeds the other ones and and it's there's nothing lost you know there's this circular approach instead of this linear approach of our economy that is uh, running after goods and a consumption uh, that has, um, you know, obsolescence, obsolescence that is already known as from day one. And that after three years or 10 years, this product uh, loses its identity and is being uh, to a recycle process uh, where we will lose a lot of value of the raw materials that have been used for it. So this, this can't last. And I think nature is a good example of uh, how to last long. Which yeah, I was feeling like, oh, maybe I abruptly changed the city. <laughs> but it seems like there's a real strong tie in here, which is failure. If you, I guess, equate failure to death um, and it not being necessarily such a bad thing. No, I mean, um, you can have different connection to death, but um, I will give you something I've experienced recently that I like very much is um, this kind of dance that people from uh, New Zealand 
uh, do when they start a rugby game. It's called the haka. Have you seen it already? No. No? Okay. So in the tradition of the Maoris in New Zealand, they have a special dance that they do before going to war, before going to fight. And this tradition, this dance, they brought it into the rugby uh, field. So before starting a rugby game, they do this dance in front of the other team. I invite you to Google it. It's called a Hakka, H-A-K-K-A. And it's a dance that is very short. It's about a minute. And it's a dance where they express themselves how they're going to be behaving during the game. And their first, uh, the first thing they mention is kamate. And the word kamate in their culture is about death. In fact, they call the death. And what do they do by calling the death? They call the death by saying, in my life, I've been involved in some experiences, actions, where I didn't put myself to the max enough, and I regret the outcome. And this outcome that I regret is like a small death that I have to carry with me every day. So now going to this new experience, I call this energy, this feeling I had of having failed and having to carry this failure with me my whole life, I call this energy because I don't want to experience it again. So I'm ready to die. And you can interpret as much as you want, die. In a rugby game, of course, nobody dies. But I'm ready to die in this game because I don't want to leave this field with this feeling of frustration and failure that I had in previous experiences in my life. They invoke this energy called kamate. And then afterwards, they invoke the energy of their ancestors they call the ancestors by raising their hands in the air, kaora, they say, and they say, please, my ancestors, bring me all your energy and your wisdom. And then they put the fist on the ground, which means that all this energy of death and my ancestors, I have it in me, but I don't need, I don't need it now, so I put it back to earth with my fist on the ground. And uh, know that it's in me. So if I need to activate it, it's there. But I trust that we will have a good game, and I don't need to activate it. But it's, I'm ready. I'm ready to activate it if needed. And I really like this dance and the story behind. And it, then that's, that's the connection to death. It means that when you enter into something, when you enter into an experience, you can see it as if you are about to enter into a battle for your life, will you easily give up or will you give everything you have to stay alive? That's the same story. When you enter into a project, when you enter into a professional journey, will you give everything you have so you have this satisfaction of having a success that nobody will never take you back? Or do you go there and with the idea of accepting a potential failure and, and, and the associated frustrations? There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> How do you spell the word that, that starts with a K? Uh, dance, you mean? Yeah. Well, you said that it was called the haka, but then yeah. there was something that started with a K, I thought. Uh, no, it's with an H at the okay. start. Okay. Uh, it's H-A-K-K-A, if I'm correct. 
No, it's 1K. Sorry, I just Googled very quick. It's 1K, H-A-K-A. Okay. And I didn't know this story behind. So I was watching those guys in the past. I was like, oh, okay, they do their dance, uh, their tradition extra. I respect it, but I didn't understand. And now I really like this idea of, um, you know, seeing the failure as a small death that you bring with you. Uh, um, I can give you an example I have in mind. I, I've run three marathons in my life. And the first one I gave up before the end. I gave up at kilometer 20. And uh, I had this frustration like, wow, I ran a marathon, but I didn't reach the end. I, it, was, it was very hard in me. And then I've, I've decided to run it again. And then I, I, I reached the end and I've run another one where I reached the end also. And this is exactly what I mean. You know, this feeling of, being on a starting line of a marathon, everybody knows you're there. It's quite exceptional. Your friends, your family, and you have to say to them, yeah, I'm sorry, I was a bit of pain in the leg, so I, I did not make it. Well, that's the same feeling as being an entrepreneur, you know? Do you, when do you give up? Yeah. I would, <laughs> it's kind of a rhetorical question, but the word that pops in my mind is wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Have you done any more sailing? I uh, have done uh, very little sailing this last month. Uh, so only small, uh, small sailing. So no, nothing, nothing very exciting. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the ocean. I'm fascinated. I've only, I mean, I've been on some boats. I haven't, and I've been on a couple, I guess, small sailboats. But the idea of being in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by nothing. And being completely scared to death <laughs> is intriguing <laughs> to me. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like skydiving. I haven't done it before, but I assume it'll just scare me to death and then I'll live to tell about it and there will be something on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was well, totally captured um, by that story last time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you have to try. It's uh, difficult to explain all. Or, all the experiences you can get from such a trip. But um, how does one find a trip like that? How do you find a trip like that? Yeah. Like I, I think as you yeah. explained it, someone needed a boat taken from Europe to America. And yeah. Yeah. There you find a lot of websites where you can easily uh, Google um, um, crew members, the crew members for uh, boat uh, deliveries. And then uh, you will find online a lot of websites that uh, are putting some ads to look for crew members. And did you have particular experience that they were like, okay, yeah, yeah Jan knows enough, we can take him versus John who doesn't know anything? Yeah, it's, I advise anyway for you, first for you, I advise you to do first one or two days or even more uh, of sailing close to the shore uh, at night. Uh, because uh, when you go for a crossing like this, you will directly be involved in, uh, in leaving the shore very fast and be in the middle of the ocean, especially at night. It can be very, uh, very um, confronting. So you have to experience it at a smaller scale before you go for, for a big crossing like this. What was the scariest thing happened? Um, not, nothing really scary because... Anyway, you're there. So, you know, there's no room to be scary because there's no, <laughs> there's no. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so there's no way out. You know, you, you're there. There's no, you can't step out. It's, uh, 
uh, one of the, the the moments of um, one of the moments maybe that was impressive is uh, when the captain uh, gathered the crew and said, "Guys, we will be um, uh, going through a stormy weather for the coming two days." Or like, ooh, you see the big waves, etc. And um, he asked us to secure everything in our cabins uh, because um, if something drops uh, due to the waves. You can be injured, and uh, guess what? One of the most common injury is a laptop that is on a table and that falls directly on your feet. Oh. That's a very <laughs> common injury on a boat nowadays. Uh, and yeah, you can easily break your feet, and then you reduce your mobility, which is a problem. Um, and he said to us, "You know what?" Uh, also a glass bottle, then you have piece of glass everywhere and they move and it's difficult to collect them. Um, and then he said, because we are two weeks away from any hospital. Wow. <laughs> and I remember this sentence, we are two weeks away from any hospital where you leave always like, okay, if I have an accident, you know, an ambulance will take me and 15 minutes, I'm in a hospital. And here you talk days, you know, <laughs> you are two, two weeks away from any hospital. I remember this sentence, yeah. That was a bit like, I was like, okay, yeah, it's better nothing happens. And do you have like a background in sailing that this made sense or was this like? I have um, this hero in my family. Uh, it's the father of my grandmother uh, who was a fisherman and he was uh, fishing from uh, France, from Europe. Uh, to uh, to Canada, to an area called Terra Nova, and they were fishing. Uh, I think it's cabillo. Cabillo, it's an English word. No, it's a, well, a type of fish. It's very common there. So they were crossing the Atlantic. At, at, so I'm talking about uh, 18, 1890, uh, and they were crossing the Atlantic at this time. Uh, without the tools we have today, without GPS, without plastic, uh, without uh, uh, the food we know today, without it, it was really an adventure. And I have some leftover of him. Uh, I have a map uh, of the Atlantic where he was uh, recording the different days and the, the routes uh, that he was taking. Uh, I have. Um, a uh, hang mat that he did during a crossing with some older ropes and um, in fact it's a kind of hero for me those guys that were going on the other side of the atlantic uh, in the conditions that uh, the conditions of that time with the resources of that time and they were going there for their for their money you know just to fish and uh, put this fish in salt and bring it back and they, and they were paid by the, the the kilos of fish that they were they were bringing back and they were gone for three months that's that's something that I had to do this crossing because I had to see it. You know, I had to be there. I had to be where he was just to see how it is. Yeah, that was the main driver. Well, that's signing up for, I mean, especially back then, signing up for potential death. Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, a lot of them were not coming back. Eh? So um, that's... Um, that's a tribute that I wanted to go there. I wanted to see it. And, uh, you know, you have those those movies where you see uh, yeah. <laughs> storms and yes. boats in the middle of the storm. It's dry. I was like, I want to see it. You know, I don't want to, to, I don't want to stay on the shore. I want to be there and to see it. And once you're there, 
yeah, it's it's not that scary. Yeah, the, I guess the, the one of the senses that I'm looking for is the sense of vastness. Like I, you know, watch stuff on TV, and you can get a sense of like how vast it is, but to be a little sailboat in the middle of the ocean with absolutely nothing for miles and miles and miles and miles. That just, I don't know, for some reason that calls to me. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm curious yeah, about that's, uh, To be done. Well, you yeah. can try on a cruise ship, huh? You can <laughs> already try on a cruise ship. <laughs> no, I haven't done the cruise ship thing. <laughs> but maybe that's I'll, the first, yeah. Uh, yeah. First try. Yeah. But it's nice to experience is the, the, the 360 degrees horizon. It never happens anywhere than uh, at sea. You, know, you just, when you're in front of when you're on the beach, you look in front. You have a nice horizon in front of you, but left, right, behind you, it's it, it's the ground, it's the shore. Here, you you really look 360 around you, and it's 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 just the horizon. The 360 degree horizon is very special. Yeah. Well, I think that brings you in touch with your humanity too, the fragility yeah, of for life. Sure. For sure, yeah, yeah, it makes you very small. Well, instead of ending on a note of smallness and death, <laughs> what are you looking forward to this year? Um, I definitely look for the freedom that is uh, associated to uh, to not uh, being engaged on a on a on a payroll of a company anymore. So uh, the yeah, the, the, the freedom and the responsibilities that are associated to it. Um, and I, I also look forward to um, to be um, to have impact and uh, to have the you know the choice of my agenda uh, that I can decide uh, what do I want to do of my time and how can my time be as much impacting as possible. Uh, because what I really want to achieve within uh, three, four years from now is to have enough wealth myself to be able to have uh, enough uh, passive income uh, so I can give my time to organizations that have uh, impact. Um, so in fact, what I'm, I don't know if we had this discussion together uh, in the past, uh, John, but the way the reason why I left um, the company I mean now is also because I want to uh, create enough uh, income and wealth uh, for myself uh, that in a maximum five years time I've generated enough passive income to spend my uh, uh, my life between Europe and Asia, Africa and South America, uh, where I want to involve myself into some projects with impact societal impact but without without having to ask any income or any money there so what i'm doing today with uh, the company i've created is to help scale ups to accelerate and to to develop their business faster but those scale ups i'm working with are companies which are not fully focused on a societal impact but once i've helped them to reach their goals the one i'm helping today i want to step more into uh, organizations that have a societal impact, especially in Asia, Africa, and South America. So this is the, you know, the the crossroad of my business and remote. It's to be uh, working with this type of organizations 
uh, remote uh, from Europe, uh, help them to um, to grow and to scale up, but not uh, only with the goal of satisfying your shareholder, but mainly with the goal of having uh, as much as possible social impact. What caused you to that? Um, I think I'm a giver, and uh, I think I uh, I get a lot of satisfaction when I uh, can. Um, first of all, I think I'm one of the a few percentage of uh, people on this planet that are blessed to be born at the right place at the right moment and have uh, no issues with health and uh, with food and uh, with all the things they need to to live. Uh, properly, have good education, enough understanding of uh, the society we, we live in. And I think this is something that has to be redistributed. It's not only, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to watch Netflix and, um, and to go skiing. This, uh, this has to be redistributed to people who, who struggle in, uh, in having a decent life. It's beautiful. If people want to find you, talk to you, reach out to you, where would they do that? LinkedIn is the best. Uh, Yan, Y-A-N-N dot T-O-U-T-A-N-T. And I'm, uh, I, I focus on, um, on my LinkedIn profile, so everything is to be found there. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates. <laughs>